1: as if uh, I'm going to be under inspection because as a CEO <laughs> of a podcasting business, looking to me on my podcast, it's a, uh, wow, I'm, uh, you know, I best be on my best behaviour. How are you?
2: I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. It's uh, wonderful. You know I've how got- much I love podcasts, so this is awesome. <laughs> i've been
1: i've been looking forward to uh doing this podcast because although we've only known each other a, a short period of time uh, we've uh, shared some very similar experiences and uh and so uh, i'm sure we'll get into uh talking about life the universe and everything uh so savannah just to uh to sort of kick it off tell us what what's your current role what are your responsibilities
2: so I've just joined this incredible new tech company called Storytown. So I'm the CEO there. Um, the founder, Jared, was actually a hitchhiker. So he hitchhiked all around Europe looking for uh, ex- and experiencing stories, stories about the local culture, um, the environment. And he thought, you know, this is such an incredible uh, concept. How do I commercialise this? How do I share this experience? Um, so he's really passionate about um, uh the fact that everyone has a story uh so we now showcase regional and rural towns and the folk that live there and we find all the local uh hidden gems via location-based podcast um the podcasts are designed to be immersive entertaining um and they're for tourists and locals alike so
1: and so how long ago was this guy uh ba- backpacking and and uh, hitchhiking around europe
2: Yeah, so it was a couple of years ago, yeah.
1: But not that long ago. It's not like he's 50 and he did it when he was on his gap year, right? No, no, no. And and so uh, when he got back from that experience, um, you know, what did the business look like prior to you joining? Because as you've said to me, it's still, you know, very embryonic. So was it really just an idea that you helped him to uh, crystallise or was it a little bit more advanced than that?
2: I think it was more advanced. I think he was at the stage where his – Look, he's a real entrepreneur with a great idea, and then when it comes to business modeling and scale, that's a bit different. So I think as entrepreneurs, as we all know, we're expected to do and know everything, and really, you can't grow an organization with, without you know certain skill sets, of course. So he's um, at the point now where the idea has been tested; it's been very well received. People love it. It's growing nationally extremely quickly. It's already making profit. Um, And people can see the outcomes. Look, we're in the middle of COVID. You know, people are looking. It's a public sector crisis, you know, so people are looking for ideas in terms of how to get people moving around this country and experiencing life. And Mm -hmm. what a beautiful opportunity to be able to experience something through um, a podcast driving into the the town or the city or even listening, you know, from home.
1: Mm. And so basically, you know, you joined whilst it was still an idea that he had um, and since you've been there which is not you know that long but uh, you know really you're starting to see great results from the energy that you're putting into it
2: Yeah, definitely. Look, I think that um, we need to get this idea in front of people. It already had attracted a lot of PR, but people Mm -hmm. still weren't understanding it. It's a very progressive and new way of doing things. Um, But 83% of people are now using podcasts. So it's a Mm -hmm. no brainer that we access this technology that we use this as another information platform to showcase what our Mm -hmm. offering is. Mm -hmm. Um, So but The stakeholders are councils at the moment. So, I mean, that's who we pitch to and that's who appreciate, you know, what we do and they're using us for townscapes, they're called. So we'll grab five pillars of community or locals or interesting people and we'll do the podcast on each of those people or it Mm -hmm. could be an industry or it could be a food tour, a business or a vineyard tour or a silo art tour, like the Grey Nomads just loved that one. So they're really Mm -hmm. big. Um, So, yeah, look, it's growing exponentially. But as I said, you know, you need the capabilities in place to grow a company and the knowledge. So that's where I've sort of come in to help refine it, to help get the sales strategy right, the marketing strategy right, um, to get the purpose right, to make it purpose-led, all those beautiful things.
1: Okay, great. So uh, I look forward to uh, sort of getting back to that point in this conversation a bit later. Uh, But obviously, you know, you've got a lifetime of experience that has given you the skills and capability to be able to do this. So let's go back to uh, where it all started. So, Maine, tell us about, you know, where you were born and, you know, uh, (laughs) mum and dad, brothers and sisters, early life, and uh, and let's uh, learn about your career.
2: Oh, wow. Okay, that's taking me back. Um, Well, I'm a country girl, essentially. Um, You know, my parents owned a small business um, and they had met overseas on an adventure together and gotten married within six months, so... Um, then they landed in the country town of Albury, of all places, after all their adventures overseas and settled in here. Um, they love the country life and own quite a, a nice property here. Um, so we grew up on that property and um, I ended up studying psychology. as did my- of, Sorry, before you go, so what sort of business did they have? Uh, they had several small businesses. My dad was an electron, uh, electrical engineer and, um, yeah, there were several tech businesses and, and things that went on there, senior management type stuff okay. as well. But, um, yeah, I ended up in psychology and uh, studied that, but that never eventuated. But um, it certainly put me on the path to um, self-growth and activating potential. So
1: what was it that initially attracted you to psychology? Uh, I mean, is that what you, when you were at high school, did you think when I grow up, I want to be a psychologist or what was the motivation?
2: I think that I was always very nurturing and caring. Um, mm-hmm. I know that in my teenage years, uh, I had a lot of friends that struggled, as we all do. Um, and I was very empathetic to what was going on for them. And I struggled myself Um Actually, if I'm honest, um, you know, life wasn't easy in those early years. Um, And so I guess that leads to a lot of um, Mm self-exploration, not just for myself but for others, just trying to... I think the existential crisis came early for me. I'm sure I was about 16 where I was really questioning life and and everything. So Right. yeah.
1: And and so do you think that you, uh, and it seems to be a fairly common theme, you know, people go and do psychology because they want to, you know, fix themselves
2: yeah absolutely I found it fascinating I find the mind fascinating I Mm -hmm. remember laying in bed as a child thinking what are these dreams made of you know like I'm meat I'm flesh but yet I see these dreams like these are like ethereal these are psychic you know what Mm -hmm. I mean like Mm -hmm. what is this what's this mind body thing that's happening Mm -hmm. so from a very young age I was aware um that I needed to find out more about Mm -hmm. myself
1: yeah so that famous uh I'm not sure where it comes from. Uh, uh, a person has a dream that they're a butterfly, and when they wake up, they wonder, "And what was I? Am I a man who dreamt he was a butterfly, or am I a butterfly dreaming now that I'm a man?" <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> it
2: sets you on a certain trajectory when you start thinking along yes, those lines.
1: That's right. Mm. Another one that I love is, um, "I changed my mind." Well, who is the I that changed your mind? Mm. Right. Uh, what comes before mind, but anyway, let's let's yes. uh, let's uh, let's stick to career for the moment. So, uh, okay, so you went and did your psychology degree, and then mm-hmm. I, and so what happened then that made you think actually I don't want my career to go in that direction? And what was the direction that you went in?
2: Well, I think there was a little bit of a gap in between that. I'm a little bit I'm a spiritual seeker and an accidental entrepreneur, to be honest. Um, I've been very successful in business, but it was never my trajectory. I never thought it was, Um, you know, when I was 21, I ended up um, in this extreme personal crisis, looking for the meaning of life, basically, and ended up in the Himalayas for some time living with the Dalai Lama, um, Mm -hmm. just to get my head right and some direction in my life and to find what my offering was and to understand more about um, what I could give and what the rest of my life might look like. And I ended up nearly becoming a nun, when i was mm-hmm. there and so sorry um,
1: saman so that was basically straight out of university yes right okay and so uh without getting into anything with confidential nature it was the, the the crisis that you're experiencing was that an external crisis that was creating pain for you or was it more an internal crisis of what is life my life all about <sighs>
2: It's a really good question. Um, I think that it was a culmination of a lot of things. I think as a young one at 21, we're faced with a lot of things, um, you know, about our future, about, you know, all sorts of things. But the one thing I know that really affected me deeply was that I was in um, the psychology of pain, a lecture, and there was a big, huge screen in the lecture hall. And he showed us a Tibetan monk that was burning alive, basically, had set himself Mm -hmm. alight protesting against the Chinese government. And he was in complete and utter peace. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, how can anyone be burning alive and be at peace? Like, what is this? Like, he's got complete control of his mind, complete control of suffering. Uh, And that fascinated me because Mm -hmm. I was suffering in my own way. Of course, I wasn't burning alive, but there was suffering there. And I wanted to know how I could detach from that suffering and be of more benefit to myself and others. And if mm-hmm. that did exist and that was true, mm-hmm. then I wanted to find out what was going on. Because certainly in Western psychology, uh, they were it was a great mystery to them as well at that time. I mean, we're going back 30 years. So, you know, there was a lot that was unexplored, especially around <laughs> meditation back then. So that sort of led me on this path into India and um, and off to see the Dalai Lama. That was my the the next steps for me. It was like I have to find out more. I cannot, yeah, I cannot not know what's going on here.
1: Oh, that's uh, uh, again a parallel with me. I lived for one week in a month in a, the biggest Buddhist community in the Southern Hemisphere called Chenrezig. Mm, yes, and at, one, and at one point I thought maybe I should become a monk. But I did I, I did that in my sort of uh, uh, mid-30s, you know, yes. having already had a lot of professional experience, including a marriage, uh, whereas uh, you did it at 21. Uh, and so, okay, so... Um, Can I tell you uh, something
2: funny about that, Richard? So I'm 21. I'm pretty luscious. I'm a size 6. I've got long hair, you know, really lovely back then. And I remember the old monk saying to me, are you sure you want to become a nun? And I'm like, yes. And he goes, you know, you have to cut your hair. I'm like, oh, yeah, I do too. And he goes, and you know that we're celibate, don't you? <laughs> so there was a number of unanswered questions there. The the actual um, weight of what was asked of me was right. huge at 21. So I think it was probably uh, wise to have waited later like yourself. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I look, um, I think that a lot of people who move towards that later in life do it because they want to release themselves of the burden of, um, you know, being in a romantic relationship. Uh, and, and so for them, it's almost a relief to go, Oh, I get to cut my hair off and wear robes and not have sex so that, uh, uh, I can just no longer have that drama. Whereas Mm. for a 21 year old, uh, you know, who's yet to really experience all of that stuff. Um, yeah, you bring a very different um, mind to it. Yeah, and well, so, the other, sorry, the other no, thing I'm... that was
2: interesting that he said to me was, you know, you don't have to go and hide away in a monastery and meditate for eight hours a day. What's the point? And I thought that was really interesting He said that to me. He said, go out into the world and learn through Mm. life and learn, take your meditation into life, you know. Mm. So sometimes we can use these, we'll spiritually bypass and sort of hide away, you know. But really, when you're showing up spiritually, you're there as medicine for the world.
1: Mm. And this Mm. was the Dalai Lama saying that to you?
2: No, that was one of his, um, this is interesting too. So the Dalai Lama has... An elemental. They call him the elemental. So he's a very wise old lama that's very esteemed and well-known that travels with his holiness everywhere because mm-hmm. he controls the weather. So right. that's his level of attainment. So if you go anywhere with the Dalai Lama from India to America, it never rains. It's perfect weather because they take this particular lama with them. So he's very high-up spiritually attained person, which is why I went to him to ask him, should I do this? How, how boring. I love the rain. You know, you're going, to, <laughs>
1: and you, you're going to have a rainy day to appreciate a sunny day. If it was sunny all day, every day, but, it'd be but,
2: like, Ugh. yeah, but most of these events are in the open, especially in India. <laughs> so you don't want it raining during a Buddhist teaching.
1: All right. So let just make sure we can move this conversation along. So, um you know, how long did you hang out there for and why did you decide, why did you eventually decide to move to something next?
2: Well, it was interesting because I, came, I they ended up telling me that if I wanted to find happiness, I would have to go up the mountain in the Himalayas, which is very uh, steep and frightening. You've, it's very isolated. There are such things as snow leopards, by the way. I saw their footprints. And I was left alone basically for three months. They fed me. They'd come every day. And I had to do a hundred-syllable mantra 100,000 times, which is the preliminaries for the Vajrasattva mm. meditation. So I'd done a lot of work on myself spiritually and sort of thought of myself as pretty, you know, spiritually awakened at that point. Mm. But, of course, when I came down from the mountain and left India and came back to my little town of Albury, I was completely isolated. I wasn't, um, none of what I had seen and witnessed and experienced was reinforced by my community, by my family. Um, and the mind degenerates very quickly when it's not supported and when you're not supporting yourself. So I sort of... Um, really left that part of myself behind for a long mm-hmm. time and okay. um, and entered into the world of business.
1: And so what, uh, what happened next?
2: Well, this is the thing, you know, the world of business. You know, here we are in the depths of Samsara. You know, here we are, you know, making lots of money. Here we are doing the very things that Buddhism tells us to be very detached and careful from. So here I was going from this spiritual enlightened space into... Yeah, the first-hand experiences of samsara. It was almost like the biggest test or initiation of my life. You know, how are you going to navigate this world like the old monk said? How are you going to navigate this with all these temptations and all this conditioning and everything that your parents want you to do and what you think is going to bring you happiness? You know, Mm. you get the money, you get the Mercedes-Benz, which I did, by the way, then you'll be happy. And I can tell you now, I wasn't happy. So I really have been through a lot of tests and uh, trials um, in this world of business. Um, Yeah, I ended up um, establishing with my partner a company called The Blessed Bean because we loved coffee. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, within a few years, we turned it into a multi-million dollar business with 50 staff. We had um, sites all across Australia from Albury, Wagga, Byron Bay, Um, you know, and it was intense. It was an extremely profitable business that expanded very quickly. People loved us. They loved what we stood for. So in a sense, I bought a lot of that Buddhism into that business. Um, We had a creed that was to connect, inspire and make a difference and that really permeated the whole business. We did a lot for charity. It was a business that was used as a force for good. So I really did tie those Buddhist principles into that business. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And, and this was, uh, when you say your partner, it was your business partner and your romantic partner, right?
2: Yeah, it was my husband. Right.
1: Yeah. So uh, uh, added in the extra complexity, you know, of uh, being in business with your husband. Um, yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Good for you that you are you able you're able to uh, you know really make a fist of that and so obviously you know that set you on you know your business business pathway um, and so at what point did you decide actually this isn't the right vehicle or what what caused the culmination of that business?
2: Well, I think you know even the name the blessed bean you know everything was blessed. We had staff knocking down the door to work for us. It was really a place of transformation, not you know. It wasn't just transactional, that business. In so many levels, it was my temple. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I sort of, as I was getting older, I understood that um, this spiritual calling was getting stronger and stronger, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And the relationship was breaking down very quickly. Uh, He was in the midst of expansion and still stuck in this samsaric view of more, more, more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't speak for him and his experience, but I know for me that I was drowning in um, just this complexity of confusion, like having it all, but yet feeling like something was terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. So um, it was uh, it was a terrible space to be, and I can tell you now, and I didn't realize at the time, but it was probably a dark night of the soul experience, um, mm-hmm. which you can read in some Christian mystic books or in any religion really. There's this initiation into um, this greater space, this greater meaning, you know, mm-hmm. that is this really it, that moment, you know? Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, it the destruction of a lot around me to move into that space, it, mean, it meant the loss of my relationship, you know, mm-hmm. it meant the loss of my family. It meant the loss of my, my business as I had to sell out of that partnership. It was something that I'd grown over 15 years. So mm-hmm. it was completely devastating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on on epic levels, really, it was.
1: And yet, at the same time, entirely necessary.
2: Yeah, well, this is, you know, we sacrifice a lot for what we stand for. Um, and this is the thing, you know, if you want new life or you want something new, there's there's obviously the death of something. Something has to go. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's something that I didn't quite understand at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was a terrible thing to go through. But I think now I can understand it uh, in a different way, in a spiritual sense, that it was actually a very enlightened it was the right thing to do. You know, that's mm-hmm. why I feel like I am here. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and Nietzsche, all things must change, right? Yep.
2: Yeah.
1: Impermanence. Uh, mm. uh, absolutely. And so, okay, and so where did your career take you from that point then?
2: So that was a really uh, interesting time for me. It was years of sifting through. What have I learnt in this life? what do I have to give in this life and what are my joys? Like what actually is going to bring me joy and other people joy? It's just, I think you get to a stage in your life where you've had it all, you've experienced it all and there's, you want to start to leave a legacy or you only want to do things that you actually want to do. You're Mm -hmm. no longer conditioned by what, or cultured by what other Mm -hmm. people want from you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a different space to be in. So Mm -hmm. it's been a real journey into what is it that I want to share.
1: Yeah, that's a you know you've been to a Champions forum and you know the the conversation about current reality versus preferred reality and uh, and uh, that you know people say I want to leave a legacy or I only want to do what I want to do and uh, a little thing that I constantly say to myself and I say to others is that um, you know you will die you can't escape death. Mm. the time of death is uncertain you know we live our lives expecting that we'll be able to be 90 and see our grandkids or whatever it might Mm. be but i could walk out of my house and get hit by a car and die today yeah um and uh not long after death nobody will ever remember that you were ever alive (laughs) you know your kids your kids will remember you Mm. your grandkids may remember you but even if you're Einstein, eventually you get forgotten or Brad mm. Pitt or, you know, a Kardashian, right? Mm. So, so at the end of the day, why give a shit? Right? Mm. Do what you love, you know, mm. that the, um, we are here for a short period, you know, yes. why spend time doing stuff that doesn't bring you joy? Yes. Um, your attention on what is the life that i would love to lead and Mm. i think that you know obviously for you simone at the same time you've got a couple of kids young kids too right so Mm. uh so you've stepped out of this business you've stepped out of this relationship you're a mum, you know um that must have been a must have been a, a period of great uh um consideration
2: yeah i think that um you know, I was in the midst of despair that my whole life had been taken from me as I dreamed it. That was my dream life. And then what was I had no other dreams. I didn't know what to do next. And I think it's really important to grieve, of course, but then to lick your wounds and then to start dreaming again about what is the next thing that you want and need. Uh, in your life. And it's not about, for me, I want this or I want that. It's more about who am I in that wanting. So it really knocked me for six. I had spent a lot of time on my own, just contemplating, being quiet and listening. I started to listen to my own inner voice. Mm -hmm. And I started feeling again, feeling on different levels. There was this sensitivity to life. And Mm -hmm. in those moments I became very connected to life so I started to be more present and you know there's so much beauty in that it really sounds so simple but there's so much beauty when we are just experiencing and being in the moment with Mm -hmm. whoever we are with or whatever in nature to me that's one of the simplest and most beautiful ways to explain um connection and just feeling full again and it has nothing to do with achieving anything
1: Mm. And so, how long did you sit in that space for before you got on and did the next thing?
2: Well, I ended up, and you're talking about death before. I mean, it's the biggest game changer of all. Um, and I consider death a great ally. Um, I ended up in the Amazon in an absolute crisis. Um, I found this shaman. I was on my knees emotionally. Uh, to the point of probably being suicidal at that point. And mm. um, I remember getting on um, a plane to the Amazon to basically save my life at that point. I was mm-hmm. just so, um, yeah, defeated. And I ended up in the Amazon in this little hut in this third world environment. And there are piranhas and there's definitely anacondas in that river because I (laughs) saw them. And um, it was a very scary, scary place. And Mm. instead of the shaman giving me a big hug and being compassionate like the lamas were in Tibet, in India, this was very different. The shaman are, you know, they're a tribal nation and they are very much all about facing fears and facing death. That's the key.
1: So, Simone, for those who are not familiar with some of these terms, uh, what's a shaman?
2: So the shaman is a healer. So a shaman uses, um, well, has access to the divine realms, has access to spiritual forces. You know, they are clairvoyant and they they use a medicine that they call ayahuasca Mm
1: -hmm. to
2: reach those divine levels so that they can heal you and see into your inner worlds and heal you uh, from a spiritual perspective. But they mm. also have plants and trees that physically, and emotionally and spiritually can heal you too. I know that they're healing cancer and AIDS and all sorts of things that they can't heal here over mm-hmm. in the Amazon through those trees.
1: So basically um, you went there in order to seek out a specific shaman or, or was it more a case of you went there and then this person just appeared in your
2: yeah i'd love it to be that synchronistic <laughs> but no it wasn't i was very um i knew about this shaman from uh, very good friends of mine you have to be very very careful when you go over there extremely mm-hmm. careful it's a very very dangerous place mm-hmm. especially for a woman um and you know i I knew this person, I knew his um, the magic that he had, mm-hmm. um, how well known he was. And so, yeah, it was quite an experience. I guess when you have nothing to lose, you do these things and mm-hmm. take these risks.
1: And so how long did you hang out there for?
2: Um, I was there for two weeks, living with the tribe, learning mm-hmm. about their tribal law. Um, mm-hmm. And as I said, you know, you're bringing up death. It's, it's very much about facing death and learning about death and the fact that we're not here for long and how precious every moment is and... Um, just letting go of everything that we've learned, basically.
1: And and so what were the realisations that you had that then took you back because you've come back into a, you know, a a business career? Um, So, you know, in that period, you know, what shifted for you? Um, Because obviously you're not in the same state now as you were in when you exited Blessed Bean, right? So there's been a recalibration.
2: Absolutely. Look, it was an absolute spiritual awakening. It was just completely getting rid of everything that didn't serve me and coming into my truth. Mm -hmm. You know, so every fear that I had, you know, with the shaman was challenged, every fear. Mm -hmm. And so that's a pretty intense journey, that one. It really is, because we have all these glass ceilings that were mostly our own. Um, so breaking through all of them to getting to where I am today has been quite a journey and a necessary one, and I would encourage anyone to take it. And I know it's a road less travelled, but I tell you what, my life is just phenomenal, and what comes and the beauty that you can give to others and you can share with others from going through that experience yourself is profound.
1: Mm-hmm. For a lot of people who listen to this podcast who perhaps, uh, you know, are uh, approaching life from a more practical angle, uh, what, what triggered for you the realisation that you wanted to come back and wanted to continue, at least to some capacity, working in a business context?
2: Well, at the time I was doing all this shamanic practice, I was actually in senior management for World Vision, one of the largest Christian organisations on the planet, so they would have been okay, horrified right. okay, at so, this whole situation. So
1: it wasn't that, okay, so I'm sorry, I was a bit confused. It wasn't that after Blessed been, you were essentially unemployed and having this existential crisis. You were at the same time as having, you know, this uh, uh, inner experience working for World Vision.
2: Yeah, so I, right. I was. I was still rocking and rolling and still in the business world and under okay. for jobs. And I was by that stage, you know, senior manager of um, starting up, you know, the social enterprise division for World Vision Australia. So in between all of this stuff behind closed doors, I was falling to pieces. And that's what a lot of people do, I think. We try mm-hmm. and hide. And you have, to, you have to just keep moving forward. You have to keep showing up, you know. Um, but I certainly wasn't bringing my best self and I needed to go over to the Amazon and sort out my stuff. So it's been mm-hmm. an ongoing journey journey um it really has but yeah so that you know i was um, in a meaningful um, situation with them It was beautiful you know they're a christian organization you know they're very relationship based um, it's an incredible place to work and be immersed in i remember every day we had they have a prayer hall they pray every morning 500 mm-hmm. corporates can you imagine um, yeah so you know i started to bring all this beautiful juicy spiritual work into these organisations. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the staff that worked for me, there was just a different way of being, you know, it's a different way of being that you can Mm -hmm. bring, you're very grounded, you're very, you know, people are coming up to me and saying, what do you do? It's like, can we have a piece of this? It's like, you just seem so um, happy and content, you know, you just seem different. And it's like, you know, I just used to make that comment. I'm just, I'm from Byron Bay, you know, which is where I live now,
1: Richard. But,
2: you know, there is a lot of work behind that. You know, I look after myself. I have daily rituals now. I do, you know, my yoga practice. I meditate. Mm. I have my uh, reishi and chaga mushrooms, you know, in my, you know, tonics, you know, to get me through the day. And I might have a bit of deer antler, you know, to get me going. So there's all sorts of magic potions and stuff that make this woman thrive. So
1: I was doing a podcast yesterday with one of my clients and uh he said oh Richard you know your body's your temple I said yeah my body's my temple it's just that I use it for hosting dirty punk rock gigs
2: (laughs) (laughs) well that's a choice oh for sure it is
1: (laughs) Uh, absolutely uh okay cool and so you're at you're at World Vision and then that came to a conclusion April last year. I think that was a redundancy wasn't it Samantha?
2: Yeah, well, of course, you know the social enterprise division is the first thing to go. You know, when uh, things get tough in business, um, it was an it was a startup, it was a pilot, it was something to test, um, and I applaud them for being so progressive. You know, because they were getting trying to get away from their donation model of doing charity and looking at other ways to fund. Um, you know their projects overseas, and um, it was incredible to get all those foundations in and get that rocking and rolling. But of course, we can't procure coffee from overseas at the moment, and we can't mm-hmm. do a lot of international work. So mm-hmm. there was no work for me within that. So um, then I was looking. Well, this this job landed in my feet really. I was headhunted again for this one. So the, here's another startup. I've done eight startups in my lifetime, so this is a bit of a piece of cake for me. I just bring everything that I learned before into this one.
1: So when you say you were headhunted, because obviously I'm a headhunter, right? Uh, <laughs> what do you? So how how did that opportunity appear for you? Did a recruiter approach you, or did the owner approach you, or how, what happened?
2: It was the owner through mutual friends.
1: Yeah. All right. So yeah. So he, he so so some people within his circle of influence said, "Hey, Simone's probably the right person to you know, yep.
2: take go get this her.
1: idea and make it happen." And That's so what, it. He he reached out to you and said, "Yeah, "Uh, I heard you're awesome. Do you want to come and play?
2: Yep, absolutely. So it sort of coincided with, I mean, he's wanting to up the professionalism around the brand. He was wanting, you know, there was no real marketing strategy, sales strategy. I had all of that to offer to get Mm -hmm. him moving, Um, you know, He's looking at seed, you know, he's looking at, you know, investment. So, you know, you need a pretty um, strong CEO behind you to get this international investment. Uh, we're in a San Francisco boot camp at the moment. We're looking at scaling globally. Um, so I sort of fit the bill in terms of that um, to really support him in this scaling and what he needed to do.
1: Okay. And so when you were originally employed, how clear was the mandate uh, You know, did he say, look, I've got a business plan, this is what I want to achieve, or was it more kind of let's just feel this out as we go?
2: Yeah, I think, look, we're still testing a lot of this to market. So, Mm -hmm. you know, do we get the listeners to pay for it? Do we, you know keep going with um the way we're going. There's so many ways to commercialise and look at what we're doing. Um, So we really need some UX designers and other people involved um, to really land in the right place with it. But like with any company, startups are testing, they're agile, you know Mm -hmm. we're Mm -hmm. we're lean, we you know this is the stuff that we do to hit the mark. So Mm -hmm. it's going to take some time, you know it's going to take 12 months. But in the meantime, the beauty of it is that it's profitable. So you know we really have our bread and butter in place. Um, Mm -hmm. So then you can Play more, you can experience more, you know. So, uh, but the bigger piece is if we get some investment, we can get that UX design in and really start to play with this app and sort of see what the potentials are. So, yeah, okay. it's
1: exciting. Oh, that's fantastic! And so, um, uh, looking, you know, at your life now, because I know that Storytown is not a, a full-time, you know, um, uh, commitment. Uh, when you're when you're looking at sort of this East meets West. You know, uh, Colin Clark, who's been on the podcast a, a number of times and, and uh, co-founded Champions Forum with me, you know, he, he sees himself as Zorba the Buddha, you know. Mm. Uh, he, <laughs> one foot in, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I'm I i in the world. Uh, but it? not I'm, of it. Is that the right way around or is it i yes. off the world or not? Anyway, so um, <laughs> uh, I get confused. I'm just a simple recruiter, <laughs> just a simple headhunter. Um <laughs> so how, how do you you know uh you're a person who strongly identifies and believes in intention as do i mm. as do you know the people who come into champions forum to start putting their attention on their preferred reality and what so how do you see things roll um expanding out for you um what what what's where where is your attention
2: mm. Yeah, I love your questions. Um, yeah, I think that focus is really crucial, um, and knowing what you want is really crucial. Um, look, I can't believe where I am at the moment and what I've achieved from where I've come from. To be honest, I look back on my life and I'm quite astounded that this you know girl from the country has achieved. As much as she has, and experience as much as she has, um, you know, even this year, I Inside Magazine voted me um, the top fifty business women for two thousand and twenty. So it's just unbelievable some of the things that have happened. Um, so that's I, you know, I feel at this time in my life that there is so much more, and that's so beautiful as well. Like this, the mm-hmm. dreamings into this preferred reality. Um, and what that might bring. So, yeah, getting creative around that, and it definitely has got, it has to have a piece of that spiritual um, side of me in that. I know my truth, and that's a big part of who I am. And if you walk through life and you don't honour those pieces of yourself and that truth, then things get very unbalanced and very um, don't feel great. So I always honour my truth, and I'm always in that space with everything that I do, and people can feel it. And it's brought great beauty and joy into my life, just knowing who I am, basically and accepting
1: mm-hmm. those parts of myself mm-hmm. yeah again a lot of people who listen to this podcast may have had some exposure to the things you're talking about they may have had no exposure i mean certainly you know i've done a, a quite a bit of work myself uh, uh but it, it it really you know it's it you it's about trusting in a process to enable you to get to this space. So for somebody who is completely, you know, I'm just a CFO, Uh, I'm a female CFO, I do CFO stuff and I earn a good income, but I'm kind of feeling a bit unfulfilled and, wow, what Simone is talking about sounds really fascinating. Where do I start? You know, how, how do you encourage people to start to, you know, become aware and to start to step into their truth,
2: yeah. their, their
1: personal truth, as you just spoke about. I mean, um, what's, a, what's a good roadmap?
2: I think the first thing is not to be afraid. I think people can fall into, I'm mentally ill, I need to take medication, I'm not right. Because that's that's to me that's not my experience and not true. What you're going through is a um, an ancient, well known rite of passage. You know, it's called finding the meaning of life. It's called it's an initiation into uh, there is something greater than this.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So you know that unfulfillment that you're feeling is uh, is your is something that has been you know experienced by thousands of people before you. So just don't feel alone. You know, mm. it is a necessary space to be in for you to experience something greater. And I think that the, the problem is that it's so mysterious and it's something that is so deep within us. And the experience of, you know, meeting God or spirit or whatever you want to call it is so experiential. And you, in that grieving of letting go of what you thought was important and that coming home into this new space within yourself is sometimes a little bit frightening and it mm. takes some time and it takes uh, a lot of commitment to honour yourself mm-hmm. in that process and not be afraid in that process. Mm-hmm. And there's there's lots of amazing books to start reading books. There's lots of ways to learn how to meditate and to start to go to yoga and just find some peace and inner stillness within yourself and then you can start feeling your way through life, which is uh, how I find God in every moment. I'm feeling my way within every moment. So you know. I'm open to the synchronicities in life. I'm, I'm being led by something greater. You're just mm-hmm. in the arms of something greater. And when you surrender into that, that's when the beauty really starts to happen in your life. As I said, I can't believe I'm where I'm at, you know, this, this girl from the country, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's all come from just trusting this path and this initiation that is completely unrecognised in our society. Mm. That that's what people go through. It's like medicate, medicate, keep going, keep going, and it's like no, we can't do that. We're burning out. We're killing ourselves, and we're destroying our families and our communities through that way of being. It's the mm. old way. Mm. It's the old way. Mm.
1: Now, listening uh, to you speak, so Simona, uh, you're coming at it from a very practical, you know, angle. Uh, I, you know, for myself. Um, uh, number one you know uh, some people have this you know uh, period of existential crisis when they're 16 17 you know some people have it when they're 66 right um when they finally retire and they go oh crap i'm retired now what's my life all about yeah and it, or it could happen anywhere in between so it's you know there's no right time um and secondly, you know, when I talk about it in from a Champions Forum context, it, it's moving from being driven to being drawn, right? Yeah, it really so, is. So, if, so uh, basically, if you're not a believer in God, you don't have to believe in God. If you don't want to meditate and you don't want to do yoga and you don't want to – what was the you saying you were eating – um antlers or whatever <laughs> deer antler right? it's good okay. i tell you sure so you know if you are if you it's deer,
2: powdered yeah
1: <laughs> if that's your thing awesome but basically you know when i talk about it and what i'm saying is completely in um in synergy with, with you simone it's it's a lot of especially professional people you know they feel driven by their goals. You know, I have mm. to climb the corporate ladder. I must get the bigger job. I must have more responsibility. I need the bigger car, the bigger house, a better looking girlfriend or boyfriend. I need perfect kids, you know, because mm. that is what society would have me do. Exactly. Right. And it's a grind, it's hard. It's, you know, it's yuck. You get up every day and say, oh my God, I've got to go to this stupid job again. The number of people that I talk to, they go, Richard, all I ever wanted to be was a CEO. I worked my guts out to become a CEO, and now I'm a CEO. I hate my job. Mm. I'm 30 kilos overweight. My kids hate my guts. My Mm. wife pays me no attention. I've Mm. got high blood pressure. WTF? You know, what was I doing this for, Mm. right? Absolutely. And and either you have a sort of an existential crisis or you have a a crisis that's forced upon you. You Mm. have a heart attack. You business fails, your marriage breaks up, but there's mm. something happens and then hopefully you start to move towards what am I drawn to, Yes, right? You know, what is the life that I would love to lead? You know, yes. how do I actually create the life that I would love? Um, yeah. In a more traditional um society, which is against I mean, not what we talk about here. Midlife crisis here is oh, you know, I'm having a midlife crisis so I'm going to buy a Ferrari and have a relationship with my receptionist. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. But a traditional midlife Good luck with that. <laughs> uh, fortunately I don't work in office, so I don't have a receptionist. And uh and I'm a 52 year old man and I drive a Volvo. I drive a Volvo for gossip. But anyway, you know, in the in that more traditional context it's Okay, the first half of my life, I do what society would have me do. Mm. Okay, I've got to get a job. I've got yeah. to provide for my family. I've got yes. to, do, you know, and then there's a certain point where you no longer have those responsibilities and you yeah. go, okay, good, I've done that now. So now what would the gods have me do? Mm. Now, again, it doesn't have to be from a religious context. I am I, I definitely don't regard myself as an atheist, but, mm. you know, I don't have a religious um, conventional view of what God is. So if, mm. if, if God doesn't work for you, forget God, you know, first half of life, what would society have me do? Second half of life, what would I do? What am I drawn to? What is the life that I would love to lead? Mm. Okay. Now, normally I don't talk that much on a podcast. It's all about you, Simone, not me. But uh, so we're saying the same thing when You, because no doubt people come because of your energy and your experience and so on, and that, you know, and they say to you, how do I actually work out what is the life that I would love to lead? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've been a CFO. I got my accounting degree when I was 20. I've just, this is what I thought my life is. Be Mm -hmm. a CFO, have a couple of kids, pay off the mortgage. And now I'm starting to go, "Mm, is this really what I'm drawn to? Mm -hmm. How do I work it out? Okay.
2: Yep. So, you know, I think that at some point you wake up to the lie that society is telling us, the car, the this, the that, the great lie that that is going to make us happy. And at some point we wake up to it and we realise that our values in this Western culture, which is very different to Indigenous cultures, is all around money. We monetize everything. We put all our value in money. And we lose our connection to life and we lose our connection to ourselves. And you remember the most beautiful moments in your life are probably the moments when your child was born. And you first saw that child and looked into that child's eyes. I know it was for me. And in that moment, I was there was nothing that was more important than me and my son in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you the warmth and the beauty and the connection and the love, I could even cry thinking about that moment. And imagine if every moment like that was like that in your life where you were so present and just so connected with everything in your environment. This is what the shamans teach us. This is the key, you know, Mm. to navigating your way through life, navigating your way in joy, in bliss. Because, you know, when you feel good, the decisions and the choices that you make are far better than when you feel bad or you're in a negative space. Hmm.
1: Where so, you're in a, a creator orientation rather than a victim orientation.
2: Definitely. Right. Yeah, the thing that's I a beautiful way to put it.
1: The thing, Simone, is at the same time, you are a CEO. You are entrepreneurially growing a business. You are being paid and hopefully want to share in the success of that company. Yes. Which may enable you to go out and buy a Mercedes you know, and live in Byron Bay and all of that cool stuff. So, you know, how do you resolve the conflict between it's a lie that society says that these things are important, yeah? but at the same time they're obviously important to you because you're doing it?
2: Well, I'm going to bring you back to Oprah. I went and I saw her (laughs) when she came. Uh, And I remember her saying, um, you know, she never said make me the owner of the huge, you know, TV network and make me a, you know, the most, you know, give me all these millions and the richest, you know, woman on earth, all the rest of it. She never said that. That was not what she was creating. Mm. She said, spirit, use me as a tool for good in the world. Mm. And that was always my prayer, Richard, always. Even when I was with the Buddhist, it was always use me, for something greater what can mm. i who am i in this world just come through me and it's so fascinating when you surrender and open to that intention mm. that things just start to happen in the most profound ways you've taken your ego completely out of it something comes through you and supports you i do not know much about this great mystery and i do not pertain to but i do know experientially that it works when you change that intention
1: Spirit used me as a tool to do good in the world.
2: Yeah. And and for me it was also uh, when I think about abundance and I think about money and making money, it's always make me abundant to create opportunities for others. Mm -hmm. So it's always the intentions never for ourselves, but through that sharing and caring for others, of course we receive something. Mm -hmm. And to me that's the key. That really is the key. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not just about me, okay? It's about we. And this is the thing that I, ta- I was taught in these tribes, in these tribal nations. It's about we. The whole mm. community depends on each other. Mm. It's always about all of us. It's never just about me. We can't survive without others. To think oh. that we can is silly.
1: And yet on the other side, it, you can't make it only about others. No, because if there's a balance. Yeah, you need to nurture and look after <laughs> your needs. Um, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to earn you know, $300,000 a year. There's nothing wrong no. with wanting to be a CEO. Um, it's not an either or, you know, it's an
2: and. It is because money is an energy. It creates opportunities. It makes what mm. you do sustainable.
0: Mm. You know,
2: it's, it's you, then you're able to give back to others and you're able to achieve the things that you want to do in the world. Uh, so, yeah, it's a nice exchange when you get the relationship with it Right.
1: So let's look out to the future. You know, what do you think what do you think's next for Simone? Um, uh, granted, you're, you're allowing yourself to be a vehicle for spirit, you know, to do well in the world. But um, at, at a sort of a level of where do you think your career is moving towards? What are you excited about?
2: Well, I like being at this CEO level because, you know, I meet a lot of other people that are in the same capacity as me and most of them, especially because I come from the social enterprise world, are people that want to do good in the world. So we're changing the face of business. Mm -hmm. We're looking at how business can leverage change. The leaders are the ones that if we leverage them can create the biggest change on this planet. At the moment, we are struggling. We're in the middle of a climate emergency We're not caring for our people we're not caring for our planet you know the the world is sick we're in the middle of a pandemic and so it's like i really feel the next step for all of us as leaders is to look at how we're healing ourselves first and then the planet and then our people our communities how can we heal our communities Mm. so what we do is powerful we have hold a lot of power in this world Mm. and if we act in the right intentions we can do so much good for ourselves and others through these businesses um, so to me, that's my passion. That's my passion, that we look at ourselves differently and we look at our, our role on this earth differently, and mm. it's one of supporting this planet and each other.
1: Now, the only thing that I would say slightly different to that is I, I don't believe that the world is sick. I believe that the world is becoming one that will no longer sustain human life. The earth will continue on. Mm. The earth is fine. It's just that perhaps the earth won't be fine for human beings anymore. So if if we want to hang around, we need to sort it
2: out. Well, the human beings are very sick because of this pandemic. And, you know, businesses don't thrive when people are sick. Mm -hmm. So there's a real link between what businesses do in the world. Uh, And there's a lot of businesses now that are really thinking more thoughtfully around the environment and people because they know that a sick community is a sick business, Mm -hmm. as proven in COVID. Mm -hmm. So you can't rely on the government and charities to solve all our problems. We as businesses need to stand forward and start to lead this change. Mm. So I'm pretty passionate about that too, Richard, as you can well, tell.
1: Yeah, look, uh, <laughs> I, I I think uh, I look at government and I think, gosh, not a government needs to rely on business rather than business rely on government. I mean, if yes. if you if you look at the what's in the news right at the moment, every single day, you know, women being sexually harassed and you know, mm. uh, uh, and you know, uh, worse uh, in Politics, mm. I can tell you right now that behavior would never, ever be tolerated in business mm, because mm, you just mm. you wouldn't have a business. Yes, uh, exactly. So it's not government leading the way. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, as a business owner and as, as somebody who's worked in major corporates and recruited for major corporates for 20 years, I look at it and go far out. Like it seems to me that government and politics is 30 years behind. Yeah. Commerce, right? Yes. Whereas yeah. it should be the other way around, shouldn't it? Mm, mm. And and the other thing I've recruited for hundreds of not-for-profits, and you look at a not-for-profit, you go, oh, working for not for profit must be awesome. They must have the best cultures, and you know, mm. be, everybody's there sharing a common goal, and there's no but they in the majority of instances, they've got the worst cultures. Mm. You know. Um It's it's very uh, it's very interesting. What's the matter? Oh, sounds like a big truck going past. Uh, It's It's been a plane actually. Oh, plane. It sounds like uh, (laughs) this conversation could go on and on and on. And in fact, perhaps we need to uh, to do a part two where we start to you know get into exploring out some of this stuff a little bit more. I'm I'm certain that a lot of people will be very interested. um, Rex Irwin I've had on who's a breath coach, um, Colin Clark I've had on who, you know, also was for a year a Buddhist monk, probably one of the top coaches, uh, uh, in Australia. Um, maybe what we should do is we should do a little panel one where we get sort of mm. four or five like-minded people and we just start to, uh, contemplate our belly buttons.
2: Uh, <laughs> that'd be fascinating.
1: Maybe some people are listening, maybe they'll just think we're all a bunch of kooks, but, uh, but it'll be fun nonetheless. So, um, Samantha, is there anything else you wanted to just make mention of or, you know, speak about before we wrap it up, or do you feel we're done?
2: I'm just really grateful for the opportunity. Thank you for hearing my story. You know, like I believe everyone has a story, which is why I work for Storytowns. You know, we really believe that. That's our purpose. And I think that through sharing stories, we you know, it raises oxytocin, we, you know, we tend to walk in other people's shoes and we understand, we become empathetic, we become compassionate towards others. So there's something in the ancient art of storytelling that is quite fascinating in terms of connecting each other and connecting communities. So I think it's beautiful what you're doing and I'm very grateful to be a part of it and I hope that someone out there receives something from it, receives some medicine from it
1: sure they will and I look forward to sharing some more stories with you in the days and weeks and months to come. Thanks Beautiful. Simone. Thank have, you Richard. Have a great afternoon. You too.
0: Thank you for listening to the Arate podcast with Richard Triggs. If you'd like to accelerate your executive career journey Richard invites you to join his CEO incubator community on LinkedIn. Just search for CEO Incubator in LinkedIn groups and click on the Ask to Join button to apply. We'll see you in the community. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.